Hey kiddos, welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast about fictional father figures and real-life dads with real feelings. And this episode is one of the latter category. Uh, today I'm joined by a cartoonist and designer at twitch.tv. I was going to say .com, but that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they bought that domain up too, though. They just redirect that guy. Um, I'm joined by Chris Furness. Hello. Hi, how's it going? I am a dad with feelings. Well, then step right up to this podcast that you're on right now because you are in the right place. Um, Amazing. You didn't step into the wrong room and you're not on the wrong podcast talking about uh, Blade Runner or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could. We could uh, but... talk about Blade Runner, but I haven't seen it, so we're probably not going to. We could talk about it in vague, like, you know, spoiler-free terms, like, there are people in it. I hear that humans. Harrison Ford punched Ryan Gosling in the face by accident while they were filming it. That's all I, I saw know. That. Yeah. 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 Um, but we're not talking about that today. We are talking about um, about dad stuff, about being a, a dad um, yep. and those experiences and, and what that is like. So you are your dad. I am a dad. It is my favorite thing in the universe. <laughs> How long have you been a dad for? I have been a dad since I ended my podcast, actually, hilariously enough, uh, about almost six years now. Wow. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a dad twice over. Oh, wow. So you have two kids. Yes. And what is like the, the distance between them? So one you had like about six years ago and the other one. Yeah. So my oldest, uh, Avery is six or he, he will be six in like February. And then, uh, Spencer, the youngest is, uh, he'll be two in November. Oh, wow. So f about four years apart. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good split. <laughs> yeah. That split is always interesting to me when people talk about having kids because, um, I have one sibling and mm -hmm. we are two years apart and that felt very common to me when I was growing up. Yeah. That I knew a lot of people whose parents had been like, We'll have one kid and then we'll have a second in two years. So like they'll be close-ish, but they won't be like in the same classes or anything. And like, yeah, um, not that you can really plan for that. Um, well, you got to think about logistics. You, you have like a range, right? You got to think yeah. about the logistics, you know, like, uh, I guess it would be, you know, ideal maybe if they, you know, with our parenting style and with the way that we want the kids to grow up, should they be like closer in age? Should they be like competitive and, or should they be farther away in age and be more like a, like a mentor kind of uh, situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And then like, there's also the things of like, oh, can we just like, passed down the things that we are using for the first kid for the second <laughs> yes. one if, if they're yeah. not that far apart yeah or like if you still have the furniture like that was our big thing was like we still have the changing table you know and you know the older one just was potty trained basically he just got out of diapers and we're like we still have diapers left over nice. and we got to use these diapers up yeah good you know, timing could have another one you speed ran it yeah it was uh it was pretty hardcore it was even more <laughs> hardcore because then we bought a puppy oh wow because we're like we're in it anyway we're up you know, during the night. And so we may as well just like, if we're going to have a dog we may as well get the puppy thing done while we have a, a human puppy. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I think a lot of people see a dog as a training baby. I mean, that's maybe a mm -hmm. little crude, but it's like a precursor <laughs> or it's like, it's like having this, this creature that's responsible that you're responsible for, uh, that is sort of yeah. dependent on you keeping a certain schedule and things. And um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're doing it the other way, if you've already had kids, then like, why not just pile a dog? I'm like, well, what amount of work could that possibly add to the already exhausting work of being a parent? Yeah, I'm already like cleaning up all sorts of fecal matter. You know, <laughs> why not add another species? Yeah, sure. Easy. You know, I'm equipped. you already got those skills. Yeah. They're transferable. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you came to a party at my house once. I did. Yes. And I don't know if you if the my oldest was around yet this would have been in 2013 2013 yeah um, so he was one he oh wow one. Yeah, yeah real small that's funny yeah i was wondering if you remember that because i was going to bring that up um that was at it was during pax in seattle yep. in 2013 and i was there with uh with mario domo with mario yeah yeah and Wow. So that, so it's been some time since then. So you, yeah. um, at what age do, do you, do you, did you find that your kids started to show like personality and like, <laughs> um, I know, I mean, some people will say like, oh, very, very early. And then some people will say like, oh, they're basically just like this, uh, dependent kind of thing, like 
animal yeah. that needs you to take care of it. Um, and then after a while, they like they start showing preferences and things, and it's it's wild. Like when did that it's start super happening? Fascinating, yeah, yeah, no, it, it happens in phases, right? And um, it happens before you actually like notice it, which is really interesting. Um, it like takes you a little while to notice that like your kid is actually saying a word and trying to communicate to you. You know, because mm-hmm. for the most part, it's just like babbles or whatever. And then you're like, oh, wait, they just said yes or they just said no. Um, <laughs> I think it was probably around. I mean, like you said, the kids start to slowly develop personality and stuff. And you ascribe a lot of personality to them, too. Right. A lot of it is because, you know, you and your your partner are bored or something. <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> like, God, when am I going to be able to have a conversation with this kid? Um, but I think. So in our family, my wife and I, we play a lot of video games, obviously, um, and it's how we kind of like um, how we sort of bonded as a couple through video games and cooking. And um, so we just play video games all the time. So they're just around all the time. And so Avery, our oldest, um, during the time when my wife was really into Minecraft, was watching her play Minecraft. Um, and this is around like when he was like one and a half to two and really the Mm. language was, was getting started, right? He was kind of a late talker. So, um, he didn't really start saying words until he was almost two. Um, but a lot of the words that he would say were like Minecraft words. (laughs) And so like, (laughs) cause she'd be playing or whatever. And, uh, and so, you know, she had a Minecraft phase for a really long time and, um, once he started putting sentences together and stuff, he he started, we, we started noticing that he started putting concepts together. So she would go and mine for ore and she would, you know, narrate what she was doing to him or whatever, or, or doing uh, in the game, she would narrate to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would like mine for ore and then, you know, put it in the furnace in order to make like an axe or whatever. And so he learned about smelting really early on, was able to talk <laughs> about smelting. <laughs> He's like, so like in his imaginative play, he'd be sitting there like, you know, like pretending to, you know, mine for ore or whatever. And it's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I need to do some smelting. Um, <laughs> so it was around, around then, like two and a half or so. Uh, and, and I think it's directly because of video games, because of the us showing enthusiasm for something that we could interact with, you know, that was kind of like yeah. stimulating in a way. Um, right, right. Yeah. Huh. Is he really into Minecraft now? Uh, not really, actually, um, which is interesting. <laughs> so I think so. the weird thing about playing video games with your kids and also being like really like that being the primary activity that I found. And a lot of my friends who are parents do this as well, um, you know, play games with their kids and stuff. And uh, there's I think my kid is afraid to not afraid, but he's hesitant to play games like with me or by himself that are Mm. music controller. Right. Like he doesn't really like he plays Minecraft sometimes on his iPad or whatever, but he won't pick up a controller and, and with like analog sticks or whatever. And I think it's because he'd rather watch us play. Like, I don't know. They're, they're, he hasn't reached that threshold yet where he's willing to sort of like take a chance and like, you know, manipulate a, a camera with a right analog stick, you know, kind of thing. Um, but he does play a lot uh, on his iPad. He likes puzzle games primarily, which is awesome. I love to encourage that, you know, he likes nonograms and like Picross style puzzles. Um, mm. Completed Monument Valley one when he was. Wow. Really I mean, to be fair, you could just like tap around in that game and eventually <laughs> it's just pretty. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody brags about how smart their kid is, but like, I'm really actually super <laughs> proud about him completing Monument Valley on his own, like when he was like three or something. Yeah, no, that's wild. But that's so interesting. Like, um, he like doesn't want to touch a controller. Yeah. And I don't know, we play a lot of retro games too. Like, yeah, just because that's what we play. It's not like I'm, you know, educating him or whatever. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta beat Castlevania three. Yeah. I've heard that from other dads and I'm like, okay, that's a little hardcore. It's a little hardcore. <laughs> I'm all about teaching history or whatever, but yeah. So we played a lot of Mega Man back in the day, and he got obsessed with Mega Man. Uh huh. Um, but it didn't require any like camera manipulation or anything, right? Right, right, right. Um, so he was like really into Mega Man. He dressed up as Mega Man for Halloween one year. Um, he actually in his pre-K class, like when he was about four, um, they had of <laughs> they had a, like a new class puppet, like an orangutan puppet, and they had a vote you know, like as an activity. And he lobbied uh-huh. the entire class to name the puppet Mega Man. 
who was oh incredible. Like that year, he was like, you know, they do activities at pre-K where he was like, uh, where they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, the list, you know, I saw the list of all the kids and because like, you know, firefighter, you know, policeman, that kind of thing. And Avery's was Mega Man. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so, okay, cool. Teaching him right. Yeah, you got to catch that Dr. Riley. Right. Yes. It's important. But then also um, like it, it, so with that, like I would read to him every night, right? And there was these, um, you know, the Archie Mega Man comics. Oh, right. They've got like um, collections of them. So I'm like, why don't I, you know, try reading the Archie Mega Man comic to him? Because he likes Mega Man so much. And I discovered that they're actually really good. Ooh, yeah. They're actually like super excellent. I, um, I haven't read any of the dedicated Mega Man ones, but I read, they did a crossover with Sonic. Yes. Um, that was really fun. And I did read those and they were really cute and good. Yeah, they're just like really pleasant. And the, you know, the characters are like on model, which is nice. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of a luxury, I guess, to read things where the characters are like, um, like how you imagine them, you know, because you're always worried when there's like a comic book ad- adaptation of something that you really love, that it's not going to meet your expectations. It's not going to pan out or whatever. Um, but the Mega Man comics feel like canon. You know, it feels like this is. This is the mythology. Mm-hmm. And you take what you can get when, you, when you're, you know, reading stories to kids and you have to read the same thing over and over and over again, you know? Yeah. Well, that's uh, something that I've talked a lot with, with people on this show about is like the kinds of stories that you read to your kids and like, or the kinds of stories that the kids get invested in. And like, um, from the very like kind of mundane issues of like, just like having to, sit through the same like movie over and over again because kids aren't necessarily invested in the narrative they just are attracted yeah. to like the imagery or whatever yeah um and then to like more serious concerns of like oh what kind of media is like my kid engaging with and like if how do i like neg- like navigate that no it's a, it's a it's a big thing like and it's a big issue too with other parents it's something that parents talk about a lot right like I'll meet uh somebody at a you know birthday party or something like a kid's birthday party which are they're, those are the worst because <laughs> uh, like, there's no and like i think louis ck has a bit on this but like there's no reason for you to be friends with these people other than the fact that your kids hang out yeah right and kids have like they have no taste yet they haven't built taste and so they hang out with people that are just in their proximity in their class and so it's like they're they're building their little personalities or whatever and so that's what they're doing and then but then the that kid's parents might be just like the worst in the universe right right and right right for the most part like they usually are uh oh no <laughs> it's very rare to find like a parent uh that I've, I've found at least that to find a parent that you really like click with we've been really lucky with um the uh past like two years or so with the the classes that uh avery's been in where the parents have actually been really cool and we've become really good friends with them um but for the most part, you just meet people and you're like, okay, what do you do? And then they're boring. You know, you can't have a conversation or whatever. And then they're like, oh, like, uh, you know, what are, what are your kids into? And, um, or, you know, well, first, first I talk about like what I do. I'm like, I work in video games. You know, we play a lot of video games at home and that's why my kid is weird. And um, they're like, oh, you let your kid play uh, games? What, what iPad games, you know, uh, would you recommend? Or, or sometimes they're even like, wow, I don't let my kid even see a screen. You know, mm. there are extremes mm-hmm. all over the place where they're like, you know, I met people who are like, I, since my kid was born, you know, the kids now, you know, three or four or whatever, like I, every time a TV's on, I try to like shield their eyes, you know, like as if just seeing a screen would damage them permanently. Right. You know, or they, wow. or they just get like irreparably addicted. Um, but then, you know, parents have this, like, we have no basis of comparison for this stuff, right? You're just you're just trying whatever and you don't really know what's going to work and what's not. And so you're just like, okay, if you're a conservative kind of person, you might just completely deny your child these things that you're afraid might turn into vices later or something, you know? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, but for us, we were just like, let them go at it, you know, because we don't regulate our time, you know, on our phones or watching TV or playing games, you know, why regulate our kids time on that? Um, uh-huh. And it's always resulted in something uh, really positive. And that's what I always tell these parents that I meet, these random parents that I meet at, at parties who look at me with shock that like, you know, we just let our kids play games whenever they want to. And it's like, kids are good stewards of their own time, you know, Mm. and they don't have, they haven't learned yet how to manage their time and to manage their attention. Um, and so it's up to you to like coach them through that and not like deny them that, you know, I keep thinking about like growing up, my, 
my parents didn't really understand why I loved video games so much, right? And why I just wanted to do that and not go outside. Um, and so uh-huh. my my dad would restrict uh, my game playing, and you know, was one of those dads who didn't wasn't really cognizant of save points and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of <laughs> you know, there's a lot of strife there. I'm sure you know you experienced uh, similar stuff growing up. Um, yeah, yeah, no parent. That's a big problem in the '90s. Parents don't know about save points. But do you feel like that made you more obsessed with video games? Yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about that actually. Like whether my parents like. I mean, I think anything like that, that becomes like kind of forbidden or even just like regulated as to a child becomes like, oh, I want to do that more. Yeah, it's a taboo, right? Uh, Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think probably there was part of that for me. I mean, you think about that stuff all the time as a parent. You're like, what? How is this going to impact my child's adulthood? You know? Well, I mean, that's such like a common issue, I feel like. Yeah, among parents and not just around games or media, but like anything like, okay, here is something that maybe like is okay in certain contexts, but like not in others or like is okay to a certain extent, but like not taken to the extreme or something. And like, how do I uh, deal with introducing that to my kid? Like, um, like I think about when I was growing up, parents who were like, uh, I don't know, like parents who had different kinds of attitudes towards like alcohol or like smoking or things like that. And yeah. like, and I feel like there is no like simple kind of solution, like, oh, just be really permissive. And then like, you know, everything will be fine or just be like really restrictive and everything will be fine because I can think of examples from my childhood of like um, parents who had both of those styles and like like some parents who are really restrictive and some who are really permissive and their kids ended up basically doing the same things. So like, totally. It's like really, um, really complex. I think that like you have, so when you're a new parent, you really don't know anything, right? You're just like, and, and your, your kid, like all the parenting advice that people give you is like a template, mm-hmm. you know, and it's how you use that template for your particular situation. And I think a lot of people, because parenting is, I mean, it's not difficult. It's just, uh, it's, it's challenging, right? And because it is challenging, there's a lot of things that you do and and you see this in lots of aspects of life. There's a lot of things that you do to like offset your cognitive load for that challenge, right? So if you could just set something in motion, you just, you know, you have this tape that plays in your head of like, sugar's bad. Don't give kids sugar. Then you have that solved, right? Like I, I don't have to think about that anymore. Right. Yeah. And so I'm just that's the template that I'm going to use for for raising this kid. I don't have to think about that anymore. But what I found really works best is thinking about it and applying that template to the actual situation and then going back and, and revising that. Right. So it's not a, a matter of like the rule is we are we, we never have sugar in this house. You know, never. Um, the rule is that, you know, sometimes we do, and it's based on modeling behavior, right? Like I don't eat a lot of sugar, at least not around the kids until, you know, they go to bed and I binge on Oreos <laughs> or something, you know? Um, but they, they can't see that. They yeah. don't know. <laughs> so it's like, it's all about applying that, uh, to your situation, you know, like, and, and really playing into what the kids are into and noticing their behavior. You know, like if you, if you notice that they're really into, um, like with Avery, he's really into numbers and he's really good at just like doing really basic addition and multiplication and he likes it. It's fun for him, you know, and that's the big thing. So I'm like, okay, this area, this avenue of learning is fun for you. Let's encourage that. And so I'll go and I'll download some, some games that, you know, have, uh, math elements like some Sudoku or something like that, where it's just really basic, um, you know, arithmetic or multiplication or something. And it's all about just, noticing what they're doing and and how they're uh how they're responding to your inputs and then iterating on that you know i keep thinking about this like study that i read about how sugar doesn't really cause hyperactivity mm-hmm. you know just sort of like really breaking down that kind of like stereotype that giving sugar to kids makes them hyper um and and i was like you know testing it where it's like the thing that really makes the kids hyper is that it's a special thing that you're giving them sugar 
Mm. Right. It's a special thing because you never give the kid cupcakes because you think sugar is bad for them. And so when they finally have a cupcake, it's their birthday and there's presents and there's people around and all this stuff. And so, yeah, they're bouncing off the walls because they're excited about the treat, not because the sugar actually elicits a, a chemical response that makes them hyperactive, you know. Right. Um, right. And I found that largely to be true. Huh. You know, it's about managing the the energy of the situation or whatever, you know. So yeah, a little bit of sugar is good. It's probably good for their brain development to have that boost of energy. Honestly, you know, <laughs> like it's probably fine. Just make sure they brush their teeth afterwards. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many of these like truisms. I feel like around parenting. Yeah. Um, and they get revised and they get like updated with the times and things. But there are so many things that attach to like good parenting that like then become ways for parents to like look down on each other. Like, Oh yeah. Like the sugar thing or the screens thing. Like, Oh, well we don't let little Susie have screens or sugar. Like, yeah. I've heard. I, yeah. I've overheard conversations like that. where like, Oh, well we don't set the norm of having a dessert after dinner. So. Oh yeah. No, like, we're much healthier parents than, than you are. Obviously my kid is way healthier than your kid. Your kid is fat. <laughs> Right. It's like so upsetting. Yeah. Um, no, that totally happens. That totally happens all the time. And, and like, even if like, I feel that I, I feel the impulse to do that, you know, just instinctively. And I think of myself as a pretty like open-minded, uh, empathetic person. And like, you know, talking to another parent, I instinctively look for opportunities to talk up my kid and like prove that my kid is better than their kid. And it's like, why am I doing that? That doesn't even matter. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's no, nice when it's... you can find parents that like align with your, uh, with your values that you can like hang out with and just be like natural around. Cause that, I feel like, especially because it's really difficult to become friends with people as you get older. Mm. Cause like your, your options get narrowed and stuff. Like it's, it's hard to one, when you become a parent, maintain your current friendships and two, find new friendships that fit your current lifestyle. Um, and your pool, like I said, is, is kind of, it's a mixed bag, right? Cause like it's either somebody you meet at the park because your kid <laughs> is there or it's somebody you meet because their kid is in the same school as your kid or whatever. Um, and we were really lucky to find, um, our friends, the Reimer gardens, uh, Kyle Reimer garden. The, yes. Um, yeah. Friends of the network. Yeah. Uh, and so he and his wife, Tiff, have been uh, friends of ours since uh, our kids were like one and a half, you know, um, and we like met over Twitter because of games and realized that we were in the same city and then realized like a year later we grew up in the same hometown. Uh, you Whoa. know, like, it's, it's crazy. It's super crazy. But like when you find people like that, that have shared interests, you know, and you're also parents and you guys can have parent activities together, you know, we can get together and, you know, me and Kyle can talk about games or we do, we do a podcast or we did a podcast, uh, called secret best friends club. Uh, we did like three episodes, uh, but because, you know, we're dads, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> we never did another one. Um, <laughs> but it's nice to find people like that where you can just be you and not worry about, talking up your kid you know the, the competition between the kids and putting each other down you can learn from each other you know which is really nice yeah i know that seems really important it was a tangent <laughs> this is a podcast about tangents no there are no like... tangents we just go where <laughs> where things take us we just follow yes. those we follow our nose um <laughs> i don't know if toucan were those toucan dance kids or his nephews he had other toucans. Yeah. I don't remember other toucans. I feel like it was an Uncle Scrooge situation. Um, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, there were there were some kinds of yeah, there were smaller toucans. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at them right now. Although I did just search, yeah. two, did I say Toucan Dan or Toucan Sam? Because Toucan Dan, <laughs> uh, definitely Toucan Dan has broken my brain because of Monster Factory. But um, uh, anyway, talk about tangents. Um, yeah. You know, I interviewed the voice actor of Toucan Sam back in my rate college radio days. Wow. Maurice LaMarche. Yeah. He was really cool. Wait, Maurice LaMarche. That sounds really familiar. He's, he's, yeah, he's so done he, like a lot of voice acting stuff, right? He was on Futurama. He was the brain. Uh, he was the brain. Wow. Uh, yeah. He was awesome. And he did the Toucan Sam voice for us. Oh, wow. What a, what a guy. We interviewed a lot of uh, serial voice actors back in the day. 
like Billy West, who did the uh, the Honeybee. Well, he was also in Futurama, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing this line between serial. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> it's more interesting. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, uh, get, I just want to finish off by saying Toucan Sim definitely did have nephews. Um, I found this out on the website. Chipmunks, to- Chipmunks Tunes Babies All-Stars Adventures Series dot Wikia dot com. Oh, wow. Um, and, what were their names, though? Uh, it doesn't say. It just says the entire article is a picture, and it just says Toucan Sam's nephews were the three small toucans, uh, <laughs> which is accurate, but somewhat lacking. Um yeah, let's get off toucans. Um, okay, we were talking about uh, Maurice LaMarche voice act. No, we were talking about toucans, following your nose, tangents. Have you watched the new DuckTales? I have not. So speaking of the Uncle Scrooge situation, the new DuckTales is awesome. I highly recommend it. Like, if you're, if you're talking about, like, good uh, examples of, like, dads, uh-huh. right? Or bad examples of dads, even. Just examples of dads. Um, the, the new DuckTales has a, has a Donald in it and which is like crazy. Cause like the old one didn't have Donald except for like one episode. Right. Right. Um, and it's got some, some very interesting themes about like family and, and, you know, fatherhood and just like male mentorship, you know, that the first one really didn't have. Huh. Now it, I do want to ask a question about, um, about the whole trend of rebooting media and it targeting people who themselves are parents now. Oh yeah. Um, but before I do that, um, are you? Can you do a Donald Duck impression? I can't do a Donald Duck impression. No. Why would uh, you ask me that? It's terrible. I think anyone <laughs> has it in them. Everyone, everyone has it within their soul, their heart. <laughs> really? To do one. Yeah. Um, I can't. No. No. We should. We should do them. Well, I'll do one if you do it. Okay, you do one first. Okay. Um. We need. I need a line. You break the Donald Duck eyes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What's something uh, Donald Duck says? I don't. I can't understand a word that Duck says. Honestly, I don't know any of his catchphrases. Um, Can you do that? What was the uh, the the meme that was going around of uh, Donald Duck in uh, Kingdom Hearts spouting philosophy? Some, like, <laughs> Der- some Derrida or something. Uh, <laughs> Donald Duck Kingdom Hearts meme. I'm looking this up right it's now. Like he, um, <laughs> he was like talking about some serious shit in this meme that obviously had an impact on me, uh, being that I can't remember exactly what he said. Okay, <laughs> here you go. It says uh, every world is defined by. Its okay, okay, boundaries. I see it. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna try and do it. Um, okay, <clears throat> I'll, I'll do the second one if you do the first. Okay. One. okay. Um. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> No, okay. Um, Everyone is surviving. <laughs> I can't. Oh, it's too you're, much. You're like sick too. This is gonna ruin your throat. Okay, let me try it. Let me okay. try it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a nightmare. Let's let's. I will. We'll 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 cut this. We'll cut this. Um, let's edit that out. We'll, yeah, we'll just cut that. Um, now. Asking about now, we wanted to ask. I wanted to ask um, Donald, and I wanted to ask about. <laughs> you know, there have been so many reboots of popular cartoon franchises over the past few oh. years that were popular when. Um, I don't know how old you are, but um, when I'm four hundred years. Yeah, old. well, I think we're about the same age in that respect. Um, okay. You know, there were all these cartoons that were popular when we were growing up and and now that yeah. a lot of people around our age are our parents um these things are being rebooted and that's really interesting to me because i always wonder if that's something that people who are parents then want to share with their kids and we did sort of talk about like oh this whole thing of like parents who want to like educate their kids on like the media that they yeah. were into which i think is never gonna really work because like i just think of like oh you know what we are now we are like the dads who were being like, Oh, you got to listen to ACDC or like cream or something like, and uh, maybe eventually you can appreciate that. But as kids, it's like, dad, no, that's a fundamental part of childhood development is rejecting the things your parents love. Right. You know, that is so fundamental. So it's like, it's almost as if you're going down the wrong path. You should, you should teach them not to like the things that you love, (laughs) you know? Um, but I think that's exactly why this stuff is being rebooted is because, um, so I'm like 37 
right? I was born in 81. So I'm not Generation X and I'm not a millennial. I'm like in the cusp. Um, and when, uh, when I was growing up, uh, it was all Star Wars and breakfast cereals and you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, like an eighties and nineties kid. Right. And so I think that a lot of the people my age having kids are, are wanting to do that thing where they're like educating their kids or, or even just reliving it through their kids' eyes. Um, there's a lot of reissues of things, mm-hmm. you know, like I picked up, um, all the Disney afternoon stuff on DVD mm. last year, you know, cause I'm like, well, I'm, I, I want to watch DuckTales cause I hear there's a new one coming. Um, I also think about Tailspin constantly. Ooh, yeah. Um, it's like one of my favorite just mythologies in general. And I'm like, yeah. I want to see if this holds up, you know, I want to, I want to show this to my kids. And, um, luckily because, uh, my, my wife and I are just we're not just voracious consumers of things like a typical geek family would be. We're, we're voracious creators as well. Right. So we take, we take stuff in as inspiration and then we use that inspiration to like make things and create things with it. And Mm. so I think that's a fundamental part of that cycle, um, that, that is missing in a lot of like geek culture these days. Like not a lot of people talk about that when it comes to consuming pop culture and stuff. Um, and I think that is what has helped my kids at least to not reject the things that we love and to really get deeply engaged with it. Um, cause they, I mean, my, I'd been reading uncle Scrooge comics to my oldest forever because I love Carl Barks. You know, I love DuckTales and I love, um, the old uncle Scrooge comics. And so watching the older DuckTales with him, he got into the adventure of it. Cause it's just, it's just quality stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's compelling stuff with a really good story and really good characters. Um, and so when the, when the reboot came out, I was like, not cynical about it at all. You know, I'm just like, yeah, give me all of that, you know? Um, but I think, I think this stuff is coming. People are rebooting this stuff because there is a large market for it because there, there is a generation of people who remember that stuff and are nostalgic about it and want to do this education for their kids, you know, and engage with stuff that isn't terrible because there's so much terrible children's television out there that people just sort of like, I can't do Thomas, the train you know i can't i can barely do sesame street now which is heartbreaking because i i grew up on sesame street you know um but you watch it now and it's just elmo just screaming it's just screaming (laughs) noise he's just looking dead into the camera and screaming and his eyes are bleeding it's really a weird direction for them to take it's a nightmare but it's preparing them for life Um, (laughs) one loud existential scream Um, so like, I never really wanted to put on, you know, like Teletubbies is fine. I can chill out to Teletubbies. They're, they're, they're super chill. Um, but I never really wanted to put on Thomas and stuff like that or, or the really obnoxious, like, I don't even know what kids TV is about anymore. Like parents are always complaining about the show that they're, the shows that their kids are watching. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like my kids watch, uh, Pocoyo, uh, which if you haven't watched it is awesome. It's narrated by Stephen Fry. Um, and it's like a really nice, gentle, like soft uh, show. Um, and uh, Octonauts, which is done by a, a design house called Miomi. Um, and it's just really cool designed, almost like toy-like um, creatures. And a lot of PBS stuff, because that's just what we like to watch. And the kids like to learn new things. So, um, But like, there, there definitely is an appetite for these, like, these reboots. And I think it's... I mean, like Pixar is a good example of, of how successful this kind of model has been too, right? Like if you make something that's accessible to everybody that parents want to watch too, um, then they're going to, they're going to want you to make more, right? Like I could watch cars hundreds of times. I have watched cars hundreds of times, right? Cause my kids are super into it. Um, and I get something out of it every single time, you know, like it never really gets boring to me. Um, and there's so little of that. You know, I want, I want more of that. Mm. I want more DuckTales reboots. I want a Darkwing Duck reboot. You well, know? we all do. I want Tailspin to come back. God. Tailspin come back, but make the villains actual Nazis this time. Yes. That would be amazing. You'd get such a backlash from actual Nazis. <laughs> Teach kids to hate Nazis from a young age. You know what? 
we have been taught from a young age to hate Nazis, and that's what this this whole the, our whole environment right now is just mind boggling to me. No, absolutely. Like I, I've been thinking about this like so much recently, where it's like we we grew up on like Nazis being a joke, like a punchline, and then there's a whole subset of nerds that are like, oh yeah, actually it sounds like they got some pretty good ideas. It's like the first time I like saw like a research like any any resurgence of like of nazism just seemed so absurd to me because of all the stuff that we grew up with where it was like they were just cartoon characters you know they're just a joke yeah i don't know i guess that wasn't enough or it backfired made them seem too uh cartoonish too because it's like i think about like dads in my life right because i was thinking about this for the podcast right if we're gonna have a, a a podcast about random dad stuff you know like dads in my life how did they impact my life and how i operate as a dad you mm-hmm. know and like my dad was fine um you know my parents got divorced when i was young and so i didn't spend a lot of time with my dad except for the summers and he had a lot of the the ideas were like he was you know he didn't have a lot of time to really pay attention to a lot of things and so he just had a lot of rote tapes that he just rules that were kind of arbitrary, you know, um, that he didn't really think very much about because he didn't, you know, like we were talking about before, have a lot of brain space to really take care of that. Um, and then I had like a, a stepdad who was terrible and uh, a science teacher who I adored, who was like my mentor. Right. And I basically spent a lot of time with my science teacher and he was uh, he gave me my first job. I was a camp counselor at a science camp down in uh, Portland mm. uh, at OMSI. When I was like 15 and he would let me skip class my senior year and just, you know, stay in his classroom. I was his TA. I installed Super Nintendo emulators on his on his uh, computers <laughs> and just played like Final Fantasy VI like all day. And he'd let me do it. Right. It was great. And he was this very like strong willed, like just no bullshit kind of guy. Right. This kind of gruff, like ex astronaut. And he was totally woke. Like I thought he was like the wokest person in the universe. Right. Um, and then when when I added him on Facebook years later, right. When there was that big wave of all of us adding like our contacts from mm-hmm. our old lives, you know, on Facebook, I realized he was a total shithead. Oh. He was like a libertarian Trump supporter, oh, oh like just had bad ideas about things. And I'm sitting there going like, God, this guy like raised me. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that, what does that say about me? That like, this was my, my like, one of my primary father figures in my life, you know, like, what does that mean? Oof, that's like a hard thing to realize. It's like, I, I think that like having, you know, support throughout your, your, your teenage years and everything, like when you're going through some really, you know, crazy shit, you know, when you're trying to figure out who you are as a person, it's good to have these like mentors, right? These people to support you and to guide you and to, you know, let you know what's right and wrong and everything like that. Um, and it's really bizarre to to get to the end of it and be like, oh, wow, that was I, – I feel like I dodged a bullet there. I feel like somehow something happened where I did not become one of these weird neo-Nazi like gamer gators, you know, because I feel like I could have totally gone down that that path. Yeah. Because of like the the influence that that people had in my life, you know. Yeah, there but for the grace of God, right? Yeah, so it's like, how do you take that and then like prevent that from from happening? And I think a, a lot of it is that that mindfulness, you know, like really paying attention to what your kids are into or whoever you're, you know, mentoring or whatever. If you have a relationship where you're like a father figure to somebody, like really paying attention to what they're doing and not just dictating what's right and wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to them and treating them like a person. And, you know, I think that, I think that's key. I think that's vital because if I had just followed what that guy, his, his ideas and his values, man, that I would have been, that would have been terrible. Cause like, yeah, I mean, especially now, I think it's important for people who enjoy games or just if if large portion of your life revolves around engaging in pop culture, you know, games and, and just consumerism in general, like there's a mindfulness there that you need to pass on to your kids. You know, I think about this a lot as a creator, too, where it's like there's there's not a lot of um, it. 
our education is kind of suffering um, mostly because our education now, I mean, it's, it doesn't get a lot of funding. It doesn't get a lot of attention. And uh, when it does get funding, it's focused on the creation of art and not the consumption of art. Mm. And I think that that art consumerism uh, should be served a little bit better too, especially with like uh, upcoming generations. Cause you see this with like game creators too, where people are just like fans are just, they come off as so entitled mm-hmm. to these creations. Right. And I feel like there's, there's an education aspect there that they missed out on where they don't understand how it's made and they don't appreciate the creation process. And so they take a lot of stuff for granted and they feel uh, a greater sense of entitlement. And so they direct their anger or disappointment or, what, or whatever towards the creator. And then that disincentivizes the creator to make more things and disenfranchises them from their fandoms, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think there just needs to be more, more mindfulness and empathy when it comes to like what, what goes into the creation process. And a lot of that comes down to creating things yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my friends uh, linked me and Kyle to this really cool DIY computer the other day. Um, I forget what it's called. I'm going to pull it up. I'm opening up Twitter today to look at it. Uh, Not because I'm breaking this solidarity boycott Twitter ban thing, but because I'm referencing something. Uh, Let's see. It's called the, wait for it. Kano, K-A-N-O dot M-E, Kano dot me. Um, it's a, it's a make your own like laptop thing, mm. right? You construct the keyboard, you construct the CPU out of a Raspberry Pi and you construct the monitor. Wow. And then the whole software suite that's on it is like a little game that teaches you about how the computer was made and what went in, what, what all those individual components that you put together do. Wow. And then you learn to code on top of that. So it like builds on top of this like process, you know, of creation that you have created yourself. It's not just a consumption thing. It's not like a pre-built computer with a, you know, a a coding suite in it or whatever. It's like you start from the very beginning and actually constructing this thing. Yeah, that's so cool. I think that's like, I'm really excited about this thing. Like my kid isn't old enough yet and it's probably going to be like, you know, maybe three or four years until he could really, you know, uh, appreciate this kind of thing, uh, and, and get the most use out of it. But I love the fact that this kind of thing exists because it's exactly the way that I like to think about like teaching things to my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like in order to make apple pie from scratch first, you must invent the universe kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love that stuff. Mm. Yeah. And I agree. Like, I feel like, art enjoyment and appreciation is like such an important uh skill really that I mean, it's, an, it's an ecosystem right yeah yeah it's like artists rely on patrons patrons rely on artists right and your enjoyment of the thing that you are enjoying can be enhanced by having an appreciation for that ecosystem mm-hmm and I feel like people that complain a lot, that feel entitled about these creations, that do things like the freaking Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce thing, you know, I feel like they are miserable because they don't have a real deep understanding of how to enjoy things properly. You know, they don't know yeah. how to enjoy creations. Right. Like that. Yeah. Um, and it's. It's, it's hard when you're a creator, too. And it's one thing that's kind of made me not want to do a lot of uh, public facing things in the past couple of years, like not only because I'm you know tired or whatever, but um, mostly because I'm just I'm, I'm trying to reconcile this consumer sort of like atmosphere that we have now, because it's, it's a lot different from five years ago, even when I was doing my podcast. Um where it's just like people are so they, they feel so more entitled and there's so more so many more people right consuming this stuff like back in the day with uh, my podcast like we had regularly 
I don't know, 3,000 people listening a week, right? Which is good. It was decent numbers. It was really good. And we had a lot of engagement from people. And now you look on like, uh, you know, broadcasters and you know streamers on Twitch and stuff, and you have people who are just like normal people, not necessarily like super entertaining or whatever. They're just like there, you know, and like I love watching broadcasters on Twitch and everything. Um, and they, they all have their own special secret sauce. But like even a low level broadcaster can have something like, you know, a thousand concurrent viewers at a time. Uh-huh you know, for six hours a day, every single day, you know, there's just so many more people, uh, watching, uh, and, and interacting now. And so as a creator, it's like, it's, it's scary, you know, because you have to, you have to be so much more for them and you don't know what you're going to get from your fandom. You don't know if they know how to consume this stuff properly and how they're going to interact with you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. It's like a huge space that um, I feel like people are still grappling with. And it would be so great to have education for kids on like how to deal with it. I mean, and you've, you've probably experienced this too. I mean, you, when you're doing, when you're putting yourself out there and especially with a podcast, because a lot of, a lot of people consume podcasts because it feels like you're hanging out with somebody. Right. And that's super cool. Um, but you're, you're spending a lot of emotional energy on it too, especially when you're doing community management, your emotional support for these people in a way that like a, almost like a, a therapist, you know, uh, interacts with somebody uh, and that, that, that can be really draining. Yeah, no, for sure. It's fulfilling, but it can be really draining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like. Um, I mean, I feel like kids growing up now are like just going to be naturally better at dealing with that stuff. But like also it would be great to have more of a kind of formalized like sure. education system on like how to deal with being online, basically. Absolutely. And I think like the the honest really is on the creators. Um it's like the whole the whole thing with like this uh this this pootie pie issue. Um where like he's he's a role model whether he likes it or not you know like when you're putting your stuff out there especially on youtube you're a role model no matter what right like because kids are going to be consuming this stuff like the way that youtube works the algorithm that it works uh that, that makes it work leads kids down these rabbit holes right and even as a parent who is like very mindful of what their kid consumes Every once in a while, they go down these rabbit holes into weird directions, and you're not necessarily in control of that. And so the, you don't have the opportunity to really ask or talk to the kid about what they're watching, right? So I can imagine that you know, if a kid is coming across you know, uh, a YouTube video of, of a gamer, and they're playing a game, and it's really exciting, and the gamer says some really bad things about Jews – you know, like the, the kid is not necessarily going to have any context for that. And they're going to be like, yeah, that, that guy's cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt that idea too, right? And it's like you have a responsibility as a broadcaster to be a role model to these kids and to educate kids on how to just, you know, be people and how to how to consume this stuff. You know, you can't just put it out there and not be mindful of that stuff. Um, like the, 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 the weird YouTube rabbit holes that kids go down is like it's insane. Like, I don't know if you've seen um, the like the, the weirdness that is like toddler. Oh God. Videos. This comes up almost every week on this show. Really? Yeah. Really? We've talked about Spider-Man Elsa pregnant so much and it's oh my God. so upsetting. And I still don't know why it exists <laughs> or how it works. It's so bizarre. And like just the, the videos of like, yeah, of like, you know, Spider-Man and other Marvel superheroes in like a weird Disney infinity toy box video where there's like nursery songs yep you know and it's it's like oddly compelling for kids but if there's no content there, there's nothing it's just it's junk food it's crazy but like my kid was really into um watching videos of like construction equipment right like when he was two he was really into garbage trucks and i found a community of people who would upload hd videos of garbage trucks just follow them around, right? They would catalog them. And it was hours of HD videos of garbage truck. And it was the only thing that would calm him. 
like at night. Right. And so I'd, I'd be sitting there and like, he'd be crying and I'm just like, I just want to sleep. And I'd turn on these garbage truck videos on my phone and fall back asleep and he'd fall back asleep. Uh, and it was very soothing, but then, you know, the YouTube recommendation algorithm would lead to like, um, model garbage truck videos of like a whole community of adults who have build model garbage trucks and then sort of like play with them. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> they have like little mini models of garbage cans and they have little garbage that they make <laughs> like my wife actually watched one of these and like made the little garbage bags like out of uh like based on this instructional video that oh would my fit God. in my kids like toy garbage trucks uh which is great um but then like we'd get down these rabbit holes of like russian language toy reviews of obscure construction equipment toys you know and then that somehow flagged uh, the algorithm to say that he liked uh, videos in like Russian. And so all of his videos were like dubbed in Russian, even though they were like, you know, uh, English language cartoons or something. It's like we, your your kid is following an algorithm, right? And so yeah. like, you need to be like, it's it's very difficult to be mindful of, of where that algorithm is, is like leading them towards. Um, but yeah, long story short, broadcasters need to be more aware of how their stuff is consumed. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like that might be a good note to close on. Sure. Yeah. Well, this was this was super great. It was great catching up with you. And um, I feel like we yeah. uh, hit a lot of really interesting points. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah. So um, my I'm super easy to find. It's just Chris Furness on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I post a lot of uh, comics on there. On Instagram and on Twitter, of uh, I do mostly like journal comics of my family and my kids saying cute things. Um, so if you're interested in uh, in that, in my particular flavor of dad, that would be the best place to find me. Great. Well, thank you again so much. Um, I hope you have a great weekend, and I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that dark duck reboot. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thanks. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Dad Feelings is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Me at dadfeelings.com support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz off their album Foiled Deer. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuy for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at DadFeeling and at StayMeanCo. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>